When I think about some of the saddest moments I've ever seen in a film, I, I think about stories like uh, Simba and Mufasa from The Lion King, when Simba's father is, is killed by Scar. I think about Bubba dying in Forrest Gump and how he says, I just want to go home. Or, you know, I also think about the Terminator being lowered into the melted steel uh, at the end of Terminator 2 and giving the thumbs up. And I just start to cry like a baby. But there is one movie where, from my childhood, there was a moment that just made me weep and cry. And now, as a father, I do so even more so. Uh, and that's from the movie Bambi. And that's when Bambi's mother gets shot. It's probably one of the most iconic scenes from any child film uh, is when Bambi loses his mother and therefore has to grow up motherless, or rather under the tutelage now of his father, who is the prince of the forest. <clears throat> but I'm not just going to talk about that in this episode because I am going to do an analysis on Bambi. But I want to talk about the initiation rites of boys as they become men and the narratives around those and how I really believe that this movie, Bambi, or the story Bambi, since it was based off of a book, really encompasses a very, very powerful metaphor and, a, and many themes around what does it take for a boy to be ushered into manhood. This is Josh J.C. Alfelto for The Writer's Lens. This is episode 66 with Bambi and the initiation of boys into manhood. You know, this is one that I didn't know if I was going to do right off the bat uh, as part of this analysis series, but uh, my kids have recently been discovering a lot of these old school Disney films, and Bambi was one that came out of the vault, if you will, from Disney+, Plus, and uh, they loved it, they liked it. My son immediately, who's the eldest of, of my three kids, was like, well, what happened to Bambi's mom? You know, that was one of his first questions, and I've had to, to sort of navigate that conversation as directly and honestly as I can without giving any grisly details. But but anyway, that's not the only reason, like I said, why I wanted to talk about the story of Bambi, because uh, I, I love this story personally, you know, just kind of backing up a bit. Bambi is one of my all-time favorites. I saw it when I was very, very little. I was probably six, maybe seven years old when I saw the film for the first time. It's not an overly long movie, as are most of the early Disney films, uh, the animated films. And uh, I think because of that, it packs a lot of material into a very short period of time, talking about just the trials of life and, and what it is that Bambi the deer, as he goes through this coming-of-age tale, what are some of the things he has to encounter? And it works so well because even though Bambi's a deer, even though Bambi is an animal, the experiences that he has are very relatable to us as human beings. I mean, the, the concept of growing up in a nurtured, uh, hopefully nurtured environment, guarded, protected over by one's mother, that's very relatable to us. Uh, meeting new friends, learning things for the very first time, understanding that you don't touch this and you don't do that and you should stay away from this thing. These are all components of early childhood and growing up and learning from your mistakes and your failures. And Bambi packs all of those things into a very short span of time in this film. Now, a fun fact about Bambi is that Bambi was actually a book initially, uh, and it was not just a direct-to-film-made production that Walt Disney crafted in some back room, but it was actually based on a book series that was written prior to the film coming out in the early 1940s. So Bambi, 
again, has a bit of history in literature as opposed to just being a film. So a little fun fact for you there about the, about the movie Bambi, or rather the story of Bambi. But Bambi itself has been a bit of a cultural icon. I mean, Bambi has been referenced in many, many different films and, and TV shows throughout the years, especially the scene that I kicked off this episode with, dealing with the death of the mother and how Bambi's innocence is rather stolen from him because his mother is, is killed by some hunters. Now, I'm not doing this episode as some sort of anti-gun, you know, anti-hunters message, okay? I, this is not even close to what I want to do in this episode. Uh, not that I would want to do that anyway. Uh, but I will talk about the villain of this story in a little bit greater detail. Uh, so I want to get that out of the way, first of all. Second of all, uh, this isn't me trying to say this is the good old days of Disney <clears throat> when they had really compelling stories and narratives. They still make really good stories today, so that's also off the table. But I, I did want to dive into all of these different themes that Bambi explores, like I said, in, in, a, in a very compact way uh, in this coming-of-age tale for this little guy. So, so how does that relate then to the topic at hand, which is initiating boys into manhood? Now, first of all, I don't think there are many good narratives out there currently in the mainstream about how boys are supposed to become men. I, just in general, I think we've kind of lost sight of this. Uh, boys tend to, at least in the West, grow up with the uh, sort of assumed or self-evident uh, teachings that they'll just figure it out. You know, that because they're boys, they already have advantages over girls, and because of this gender divide, Boys don't need as much tutelage because they'll, they'll fight it out. They're, they're easier to raise. Uh, you don't have to worry about them getting pregnant. You know, there's a lot of static around young boys and, you know, as they become older and eventually who they're supposed to become because as we found out in the last few years, especially with the Me Too movement, was boys who go into men's bodies aren't always men in men's bodies. A lot of times they're boys still trapped in men's bodies. And what does that do to our, our culture? What does that do to our society? What does that do as far as our perception of what it means to be a quote-unquote man? Because the definition of that has to be more than you have the physical characteristics of a man, right? I mean, there's a lot more baked into the definition of what it is to live life as a man. I mean, it's more than just I have facial hair or I have hair on my chest, I grew it under my armpits, I move heavy stuff. Maybe uh, I'm the father of several children or whatever that may be. <clears throat> There's many other intangibles that go into what constitutes being a man. And it, it, you could ask 10 different people and you get probably 10 different answers, which is why I think this story, Bambi, is a pertinent one for today. Because it takes us from the very beginning, the onset of a young prince, okay, Bambi, who's the young young boy in this scenario, and takes us through his tale of what different stages of his life where he has to encounter things that he wasn't maybe prepared for, maybe he doesn't know any better, and he has to learn from them and eventually grow into a new space where eventually he will become a buck, which is, you know, the adult of, of the story, and he will eventually become the new prince of the forest as opposed to just his father. So let's 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 dig in this. So so just starting from the beginning, Bambi's born. Uh, he's 
uh, born in the thicket. All these animals show up to see him. It's very Lion King-esque. You know, he's the new prince of the forest. We're kind of curious as to what that is. If you're unfamiliar with this story already or you've seen it before, maybe I'm just recounting uh, your, your childhood for you at this point. But all these different animals come to see him, which, if I may real quick about the Lion King, makes a lot more sense for these animals to come and admonish a herbivore as opposed to a carnivore, which will eat them someday. Just just, just want to say, <laughs> I'm not, not trying to diminish the Lion King or its story or anything like that. I love the Lion King. It's one of my all-time favorites. I just think it's kind of funny that all the animals that show up in the beginning are are bowing down to an animal that will probably grow up one day to eat them. <laughs> so it's just, anyway, whatever. Okay, so... So Bambi is born, and immediately, you know, he's kind of wobbly. He's unsure of himself, very much like any baby would be, right? Like like my kids, all three of them, the moment that they're born, they're helpless, okay? They, they can't do anything for themselves. It's impossible, right? They're not self-sufficient. They're not self-sustaining. It requires mom. It requires dad to be there for them so that they can survive, you know, that they can actually get fed, if they poop, someone cleans them up. I mean, the, the first few years of a child's life is all about them in terms of maintenance and, and caretaking. Uh, you know, there's, there's very little that the child offers back to the parents, especially in the form of sleep. Can I get an amen to anybody out there who's, who has small children or has been through that stage? Small kids, they don't sleep very well the first, you know, perhaps 10, 12 ever weeks of their life. Uh, your your sleep schedule will forever be either diminished or affected by the number of children that you choose to have. Fortunately, my wife is amazing at getting kids to sleep uh, or sleep training them. So our, our kids have been sleeping through the night relatively well, which is great. We kind of enabled us to have more kids. But anyway, uh, for that reason, um, children can't do much. They can't do much at all. And as a boy, whether you're a boy or a girl, you can't do much for yourself. But as boys get older, there starts to be this almost divide in terms of what boys do, right? Like there's, So there's a couple different narratives, again, like I said, are out there about what constitutes a young boy, what constitutes a young girl. You know, girls gravitate towards, you know, little things, meticulous things. Their, their motor skills are a little bit better. They can sit longer. Boys, on the other hand, are much more rambunctious. They got a lot more energy in some sense. Uh, they're, they have to use their bodies. They have to challenge their bodies more. They're jumping off things. They're tearing things. They're breaking things. I remember years ago, there was a study about toddlers that could crawl, and they ha- they they had them sitting in a room. And I w- I was trying to find this study before I did this episode, so you might just have to take my word for it. And if you do find it, maybe you can email me later and, and let me know about where it was. But but there were these these scientists in like Europe that put boys and girls like fifty fifty. And they put the parent on one side of like a little corridor and there was a teddy bear or some kind of object in between the toddler and the, and the parent. And they called for the child to come for them. And as the child went for them, overwhelmingly, the girls would try to go around the bear or they would try to go around this, uh, this thing or whatever it was in the, middle of the, in the middle of the corridor to get to the parent. Now, some of them, you know, kind of moved it out of the way or whatever, but they tried to go around it. They didn't want to cause any kind of harm to it. Conversely, the boys, overwhelmingly, would just smash this thing out of the way. They would, they would knock it down in order to get to their mother or to their father or whomever it was. So even at really, really young ages, there's differences of the way we use our bodies to communicate and, and move and whatnot, even between boys and girls. 
Uh, and again, if you can find that study, I'd be very appreciative of that. I remember reading about it years ago, and it's always kind of stuck with me. So couldn't find it. Couldn't find it online. Maybe maybe someone has just taken it off the internet at this point because there's, again, like I said, new theories coming out about boys and girls and differences that we could always go into later. But, but the fact of the matter is, if you've had boys and girls and you've had boys and girls as a parent, you know that they're different. You know they're slightly different. I'm focusing just on the boys today, okay? Just focusing on the boys... A, because I'm a boy, and because this is something I think Bambi addresses. So Bambi gets up, and he's he's walking around. Everything's very new again. Everyone addresses him very nicely because he's this new fawn. He doesn't really have to worry about having too many enemies. You know, mom's there all the time. And then there comes this scene where uh, he's about to go out into what is called the meadow. His mom's going to take him out there from spring to summer, and then I think it's like in the fall time now at this point. And uh, she's taking him out there, and he has this moment where he just runs off, you know, kind of naive, with naivete or innocence. And he's like, the meadow, and he runs to go get on the meadow. And his mother screams and runs, runs out in front of him and stops him. And she tells him, you never, ever go running out onto the meadow like that on your own. You know, and she begins to say, there could be danger. I'll go check first, and then I'll let you know if you can come out there. Uh, she even goes on to say, we're not protected when we're out on the meadow because it's open space, it's open plain. Now, Bambi doesn't know this, of course. He doesn't inherently understand that there are dangers out there because he's been with his mom the whole time and mom does, you know, everything for him. She nurtures him, she she shows him the way, he walks, you know, walks behind her wherever she goes. And that's very typical of deer in general anyway, okay? The, the dads are kind of displaced, the bucks are out, whatever they're doing, growing their antlers, looking for other mates, things like that. Uh... So anyway, there's this first lesson that he has where I'm not supposed to go out into this place. I can't just run into everything with with no caution at all, right? Like, I just can't do that. And that's how our world is, even as people. Like, we can't just run off into things blindly without maybe first consulting with someone or, or hopeful that a mentor or a parent or a guardian is going to watch over us and help us. And this is, of course, a really detrimental thing to kids in general. You know, for children that grow up but they don't have parents in the home or they don't have someone they can truly look up to because because ultimately that's what kids are looking for. They need someone to show them the ropes. Now, I know a lot of people might say, well, my kid doesn't listen to me or, you know, kids are, you know, they're, they're unruly and they don't know any better. Well, that's the problem. They, they are actively looking for someone. Their attention is that they are looking for someone to give them attention. So that they can see what's right. They can see what what is the proper path. Is this good, Dad? Is this bad, Mom? Is this is is are these the things that are going to help me? Um, they're looking for a model. They're looking for someone they can imprint on and someone who's going to do it in reciprocation to them. Because that's what that's what kids do. That's that's what all kids do. And boys are not different than girls in some sense, but. But uh, it's imperative from just, again, from the standpoint of looking at young boys, that they have a model that can teach them that. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, too. But I just want to make mention of that, that, that kids are not tiny adults. They're not. All right. As much as there are some narratives out there that try to push this idea that by the time they're eight or nine, they have to somehow be doing every single chore in the house and they have to be self-sufficient completely. And, you know, they're making their own meals. Hey, that's great if they can. But... At the same time, uh, they need someone showing them other things like, you know, first of all, how to be a kid, you know, <laughs> to be playful. And, you know, there's a balance there that needs to happen. So 
so yeah, so so these things from a very young age to be attentive to um, for boys and for girls. But in the sense of Bambi's story, again, again going back to the boys specifically, Bambi's mother protecting him from this, teaching him, look, you just can't go barreling into things without first consulting with someone else, specifically me. So he goes out on the meadow, and he learns about some things that he can eat or not eat, and he, he actually ends up bumping into his first uh, girl, uh, girl fawn, which is Feline, who actually ends up becoming his his love interest later on. And it's a little awkward for him, of course, and and there's this funny little exchange. But what happens next, after the two of them have been playing, is that since it is that time of year that the bucks uh, are out and running, I think it's probably like late summer, early fall or so. Now, when the bucks are in a rut, that means they're looking for mates. And there's this really cool scene where Bambi and Feline are playing, and all of a sudden they notice all these bucks come prancing onto the meadow, and there's there's just dozens of them, and they're big and they're strong. And it's almost like a scene out of like a, a military movie where you just see the might of the army come rolling in. And I'm, we're going to play a little bit of that here real quick. Okay, so obviously a very cool, very neat scene. Uh, and this is Bambi's sort of first exposure to adult male deer, okay, that we know of in the story anyway. And so he gets sort of this glimpse of, you know, what it could be like for him as an adult, that he would transform into these bucks. And you as an audience member, you know that too. Okay, he's a young he's a young boy, fawn. This this is kind of his future. There's some foreshadowing here. This is This is something to go after when you get older, is you want to be like these guys. I mean, they're strong, they're fit, uh, they have their antlers, there's many of them out there, uh, and you're going to want to stand out among them, right? I mean, there's there's so much being told in this small little scene that you can just feel in the music, you can feel it in the moment, how Bambi flees from them. You know, there's they come running up over the hilltop, and Bambi has to get out of the way, or else he's going to get trampled. Uh, just this sense of power and presence that these bucks have. And... Again, I feel like that's part of the masculine piece of what makes a man a man is this sort of this presence, okay? On the flip side of that, the very feminine presence is very inviting. You know, there's a sort of a delight to be had. Not to say that men aren't delightable, you know, they're not delightful, but sort of having this presence of, you know, I, I don't have to be so inviting in the same sense that I'm firm and I'm strong, you know. So, so here's the Bambi's first sort of uh, introduction to this. And of course, during that scene, his father shows up, who's the great prince of the forest. You know, he's got this huge head of antlers. He's, he's lived twice as long as anybody else. Everyone respects him. And again, Bambi is, is given sort of this first initial introduction into what his life could be like when he gets older. So he sees an example of what it would mean one day to be a man, or, well, not a man, but an older deer, okay, to become a buck. So moving forward, uh, the winter comes. And it's, it's hard and it's harsh and he's getting older and he's realizing that, you know, life isn't all rainbows and butterflies. And, and there's even a scene at the end of winter where Bambi says, 
isn't winter ever going to be you know be over with and bambi's mother even says to him nothing lasts forever you know like even winter has to end at some point so a little bit of wisdom there about you know your pain is something that you're going to experience temporarily again borrowing a cliche but eventually it will it that too will pass so we move on past winter spring comes again we're back to going out to the meadow uh you know uh bambi goes out to into the meadow with his mom and so starts the scene that kind of kickstarted this episode uh and well let's just let's just play it and then we can all cry together when it's over It's definitely one of the hardest scenes even today for me to watch. You know, again, as a parent, it's even more heart-wrenching, <laughs> man. I mean, to know that he's lost his one shield, he's lost his umbrella, he's lost everything. I mean, his world is his mom up until this point. And the fact that he doesn't quite understand what has happened is even more difficult uh, to watch in an experience because the music is very moody, it's very... You know, the, the snow is falling, and there's almost like a darkness has come over uh, his his life now. Bambi is without his mother. But what happens as he's out looking for her, and he's calling out to her, and of course, you know, she's gone at this point, uh, his father suddenly appears and says to him pretty directly, you know, he says, you know, your mother can not be with you any longer. And Bambi, in that moment, you know, kind of, tilts his head down and there's this tear that comes out of his eye because the reality begins to set in that his mom is gone. You know, she's not going to be able to come back. And then the father says to him, come, my son. And then you see Bambi kind of wander off into the into the distance, into the mist with his dad, now that his dad is going to take him. This scene, to me, is really significant from a, from a symbolic standpoint. And here's why. Every young boy in his life will eventually have to detach himself from his mother's protection. Now, Freud, you know, and every psychologist, every child development psychologist says that this is so. Boys and their mothers have unique relationships. You know, moms and boys, especially their firstborns, have very strong-knit relationships when it's a mother and when it's a boy. Just a very unique relationship in terms of the, the closeness and the bonding that happens there. In order for him to eventually break free and become a man, not just in a physical sense, there has to be some sort of breaking almost emotionally from the mother. Uh, not totally, of course, but there has to be this sense of, I have to stand on my own two feet soon. I can't just be underneath her, you know, underneath her wing forever as the mother hen over me. I, I can't be a chick forever. Strange choice of words, I guess, but but just but you get the idea. Is that eventually the boy has to be ushered into manhood? I mean, there's a there's a scene in from the movie Three Hundred, 
where uh, the boy, the son of Leonidas, um, there's a mentioning of how eventually he'll have to take a test or a trial, and how it's very difficult for the mothers, Queen Gorio, for her to see her boy go off and do these things, because she has to come to the realization that he's going to become a man someday, and she cannot protect him from the elements any longer. Now, why is this different for a daughter? Here's why. Because the boys will be subjected to the elements in a sense of they are the front line of defense, physically uh, and even spiritually, I will say in this in, in this episode, against physical onslaught and spiritual onslaught. That's one of the roles of a, of a man. Women, conversely, being in marriage to a man, okay, I'm just talking about in marriage in general, being married to a man then can fall under the protection physically and spiritual protection of her husband. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that have to be true of this. Now, the husband, again, like I would say, would have to be a, a Christian or of a religious um, uh, perspective and be a spiritual leader and be a protector of his home. That's one of the charges of being a Christian man, which, uh, which again, I've said before, as far as my own family is concerned, one of my roles is that I am the lead servant, spiritually and also in some sense physically, to protect my family from outside onslaughts. That's one of the, the roles that I have as being a husband and a father. That's why this relationship is so different, because the mother knows that eventually someday he's going to be facing the onslaughts that she cannot protect him from. But if it's a daughter, there's always sort of this strange hope. I don't want to say it's strange, I guess, but it's this hope of when married to the proper man who is a spiritual leader and he's and physically can protect her, um, then she can go under that. And that then through that relationship, through that partnership of their marriage, the two of them can, can complement one each other as husband and wife. Now, you probably didn't expect me to get that deep with Bambi, okay? I mean, you probably didn't expect that whatsoever. But these are some deep spiritual truths that in our postmodern society, we've, we've almost cast asunder because we're so concerned about gender roles and we're not really sure like who's supposed to be leading this, who's supposed to be in charge of that. Let me tell you this. When men don't know what they're supposed to do in a society, when they have no clue of what they're supposed to be, who they're supposed to follow, uh, you know, what are their principles that they're supposed to, to go after, they will be completely self-indulgent. Okay, they'll be completely self-absorbed. And if, at worst, they'll, they'll lean on their mother figures and they will never know how to properly take initiative in the world. They need to, though. I mean, if you're someone listening to this and you're someone that, that feels that way, my encouragement to you is then try to figure out how to break that. You know, try to figure out how to break that connection. Um, and again, not, connect, not, not to break the connection from your mom or anything like that in a, in a physical sense, like Bambi's mother was killed. Okay, I would, not, I would not be advocating that whatsoever. But figuring out how do I stand on my own two feet? How do I become more responsible and accountable for myself uh, in an emotional sense, a spiritual sense, uh, having direction, having something to aim myself at? You know, Jordan Peterson became very popular a few years ago in social media talking about these exact things. And if you've never heard of Jordan Peterson, he was a, kind of a polarizing figure for a while because he was, he was a guy who here in the West was arguing about the roles and responsibilities of, of young boys and really had attracted an audience of young boys here in the West because there's been such a crisis of young men not knowing what they're supposed to do with their lives when they get older. Because society, I mean, if you're just listening to what secular society tells you or what society tells you in general, it's do this, do that, do this, do that, don't, you know, don't do that, don't do this. You got to be a million different things. There's no sense of balance and there's no sense of direction. 
And so what do most boys do when, they're, when they don't have any kind of blueprint in front of them? They, they, they recoil. They, they retreat. They retract back to somewhere else, a safe haven, a safe place. And so you have a lot of guys aimless, directionless, not knowing where to go. And Jordan became very popular because his message was counter to that. It was take responsibility, take accountability, learn what it takes to be a man, find a mentor, find someone you can model that you that you admire, and then try to emulate what they do. Uh, a really powerful and strong message, and it's you know it's a message that is timeless, because in this scene, okay, bringing it back around, Bambi is now physically, emotionally, spiritually, I guess if you want to go that with this with the deer, he is cut off completely from his mother. Okay, it is physically impossible to be with her now. He has no choice, at least in this instance of the art of the story, that he has to go with his father. His father now has to dictate and show him what his next steps are. And that's what every single young boy needs. A male figure that is going to show him this is what it takes to be a man. But again, it has to be a man that is admirable, a man that is respected, a man of principle, uh, you know, again, my argument is uh, would be a man with a, with a deep Christian walk, a deep Christian faith, a faith in God. That is a type of person you would want to emulate, a male figure that a boy would want to emulate. Because, again, he's going to be thrown to the elements against other men, right? And against, you know, against even women out there in the workplace or in, you know, different events and places where he'll be interacting. He has to find a blueprint, and the only way to do that was through another male. That's why it's so difficult for, for boys in fatherless homes to find a decent path when they get older. Because if they don't, what do they do? They just they end up reverting to very sort of sensual needs. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna define myself by the next girl I date. Right? Like we all you might be able to notice somebody like that that you know of. You know, maybe there was no dad at home or dad was very absent. Dad wanted to just be as a good friend, didn't want to be a dad. And now the boy he just gravitates from relationship to relationship. And he does this because he, he doesn't have a good model. He doesn't have a good example of what to do. What does it mean to be a man to commit yourself to something, to take accountability, to take responsibility? And again, this is all very difficult stuff to do. This is not easy to do. If it was easy to do, you'd have an entire society filled with men of, of principle, right? You'd have men of faith, again, doing all the things they're supposed to be doing and caring for the women that they're supposed to be caring for and the children that they're supposed to be caring for too. But unfortunately, we don't have that. We have very, you know, uh, we, we live in a broken world, you know, we live in a broken society, and not, I wouldn't say broken society, but but broken people make up broken societies, right? I think that that's reality. But even through that, there are transcendent ethics that can be followed, ideals, traits that can be can be modeled after. And this scene here, again, I'm unpacking a ton here, so I hope you're tracking with me on this. This is a real deep dive. This is that initiation moment for Bambi in the story. He is now being taken under the wing of his dad so that he can know what it's like to grow up and become a buck, become a proper buck. And again, using the analogy to human beings, what does it take for a boy to become a man? And there's a lot of other practicalities that we could we could go into, but I want to leave it at that with, with that uh, particular moment. So we're not quite done yet. Okay, so I know this is a bit of a long episode, and I, again, I... My wish is that you're still tracking with me on this. So one last scene I wanted to highlight in this is Bambi's eventual turn into a young buck, and he has his antlers, and he's older now. I mean, there's that scene, I think it's springtime, and he's grown up, and he's, you know, he's all strong and whatnot. 
and he runs into Feline again. And Feline now is grown into a, I guess, a beautiful young doe. <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, you know, as far as beauty is concerned in the eye of the beholder from Bambi to Feline, he's just, he's kind of struck dumb by her. Or as the, as the movie says, he's Twitter pated kind of funny use of the word Twitter in that, in that, uh, in, in that film years and years before Twitter even came around. But he's quote-unquote Twitter-pated, as are his two friends, Thumper and Flower. If you go back and watch the film, you'll know what I mean. They, uh, they've become in, enticed by the opposite sex, and Bambi is, is, of course, not immune to this. He runs into Feline, and he's sort of charged. He can't believe how beautiful she is, and he has this moment of sort of embarrassment. He's not sure what to do around her. Uh, this is most guys, I would think, when it comes to impressing a lady. You know, you're, you're struck by her beauty. You're struck by her delight. You're struck by uh, the inviting nature of what she looks like. Her beauty is very captivating. And, you know, I could say this from the moment I saw my wife for the first time. Very captivating, very beautiful. Uh, what do I do? Uh, well, okay, I got to go into my, you know, toolbox of, of, of things that are, are going to impress her. You know, like things that'll make her not want to walk away and say, wow, you're weird. I'm going to move on to the next guy. Uh, so, so there's this moment, and then what happens is, as they're sort of frolicking around, and there's this sort of infatuation period, this other deer shows up to challenge Bambi for Feline's love, essentially. Now, it's very feral, it's very animalistic in this moment. You know, he basically pushes Feline off, and he, he stands between Bambi and Feline. Feline obviously wants to be with Bambi, but this character who I, I ended up finding out his name is Rano, thanks to Bambi too. Uh, the character's name is actually Rano. He's a little bit older than Bambi. His antlers are a little bit bigger. But he just has this look of, I'm bigger and I'm stronger. I'm more intimidating than you. And I'm going to take her because I can. All right? So it's a very primal sort of moment that you might see in the animal kingdom when two bucks are about to go at it. But before they do, Rano is sort of taking her away. And Felina's calling out to him. Now you might say, okay, Josh, this is the damsel in distress. This kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Or maybe it does, but we don't really hear about it. Look, every guy has to fight for his beauty in some way, okay? He doesn't have to physically beat up somebody, okay, as this scene will eventually happen. Uh, he doesn't have to physically arm wrestle him or, you know, kick him in the cojones and walk away as though he's the man. Uh, there's a really good scene in King Kong, the remake from 2005, where Kong basically fights off all these dinosaurs and wins the admiration or the adoration rather, of, um, I think it's Anne is her name from the film, where originally she was afraid of Kong. She ends up realizing she needs him, and he proves that to her, that you need me in order to survive on this island. So another interesting kind of little story bit there. But every single guy has to fight for his, for his beauty. He has to fight for it. Um, that's the nature of the relationship between men and women, is that uh, it's not to say that women are helpless, right? It's, it's, that's not the point of it. But there is this, there is this real desire of a woman's heart to be pursued, and there is this desire of a man's heart to pursue that heart of a woman. And so here you have in this microcosm of this episode, or of this or episode of this movie, Bambi is being called forth to rise up and fight for her on her behalf in a very physical sense. So we get to see it. It's very dramatic. So here's here's a little bit of that of that fight here, real quick.
Now, again, if you've seen this film before, you can probably just you can just picture the antlers clashing and somebody gets the upper hand and someone you know throws the other one down. And it's a really cool scene because the artistry of this moment is Bambi and Rano are sort of uh, sort of casted over with different colorations like red and black and and you know uh, grays and well not grays I guess but red blacks orange like there's a lot of energy in this fight and slowly Bambi begins to gain the upper hand against Rano and it's a really really great scene from an artist uh, from an, from an for an artistic standpoint because the fight is taking place almost in total darkness and that's how so many people I think battle for each other or how a, a guy sort of battles for his beauty and darkness in many ways you know there's a sort of an internal struggle like what do I do to win her over what do I do to impress her you know there a lot of these things can happen in the shadows they don't have to be so overt that I you know stand up in the middle of a crowd and I scream it out or whatever it is but there's little things that he does hopefully to to win her heart and convince her, hey, you know, I'm the one for you, you're the one for me, I'm going to commit myself, I'm going to sacrifice the, you know, quote-unquote opportunities to be with anyone else because I, I favor you the most, and I want to dedicate myself to you. And that's what this fight is is showing. Bambi is, is going into the darkness to fight his enemy, Rano, to overcome him and beat him. And he does overcome him, and he beats him, and therefore the two of them get to be together. Uh, and there's this nice little sort of love song after that. They're dancing through the prairie or the, the meadow and whatnot, and it's very beautiful. And then, after the scene is over, now they're together. The titular villain of the show, or the show, I keep saying that, I'm sorry. The titular villain of this man appears at the very end, and he's there to hunt down all the animals. Now, again, like I said, I'm not turning this episode into an anti-gun, anti-hunter episode, I mean, it's, you know, if you're a hunter, awesome. I mean, I never really hunted when I was growing up, even though I grew up in the country, I always wanted to, never really did. Uh, but, but the ominous nature of the villain, the character of man in this story, I think is significant, again, to boys being initiated into manhood. And I want to end on this note, is that every guy understands, every man understands that danger is not always clear and present. It's not always right in front of your face. It's not obvious all the time. And the real job, again, another job and duty of a man, a father, a husband, is to be alert, to be aware of his surroundings, to be aware of what's going on around his family, with his children, with his wife, you know, just, just dealings in general. He's supposed to be on alert because, again, like I said, uh, you know, speaking from my faith background, being a spiritual servant, being a spiritual leader is one of the things that uh, a husband is called to do. Um, his wife is also, okay? We could, again, I could ex expand upon that in another episode, but I'm just, again, focusing on the guys right now. So being alert that the danger is not always right in front of us and we don't always see it. That's one of the really genius things about this movie is that the character of man is never actually seen. You never actually see him, but when the music starts, there's this foreboding sense of danger. Something is creeping around the corner. We can't quite see it. We don't, but we know it's there. We know there's something that could harm us off in the distance or close by or, or wherever it may be. And to me, that's also a sign of manhood is that you're on alert. You're not disengaged. You're not completely apathetic to everything going on around you. 
you are engaged with your surroundings. You're engaged with what's happening uh, in your immediate vicinity of your family. Because again, part of being, I think, a good man and husband and father is being a protector. And that, and that goes beyond just even your own family. It goes to your community. It goes to your friends and, and other family members beyond that and being alert of these things. Because we could probably list all the different sitcoms that parody the idea of the good husband and the good father. I mean, there's, you know, Married with Children, the character of Al Bundy and how he's sort of disengaged and he hates the fact that he's married and he has these kids that he has to watch after. And there's there's Homer Simpson, probably the oldest example that I can think of, where, you know, he's just sort of this drunken, aloof, you know, dad. I mean, yeah, some of them are funny and some of the episodes are hilarious. And, and guys do fall to this and they, you know, they're not always thinking all the time, and you know, their their wife has to fill in the details on some stuff. But that doesn't make them bad dads, doesn't make them bad guys necessarily. But having an alertness from a spiritual sense, from a, a sense of just what's going on in my world, and knowing that danger is not something I have to slack off on because it could be anywhere. Again, another thing about being a man that I think is imperative for us, even in the West, even in a place that is well-resourced like the United States of America, which is where I'm broadcasting from, uh, other places around the world are not going to be as fortunate. I mean, danger is always going to be present. And it's in many cases, it's very obvious. So if you're someone listening and you're overseas and you're listening to this right now, uh, be of encouragement that, uh, oh my goodness, there are, there are those that are praying for you. I just want to say that. There are those that are praying for you. Uh, but to my point, again, bringing this to a much smaller, uh, more personal level, the alertness that has to be there for a man. I mean, Bambi and his dad uh, are in this scene at the very end of the film, and they're talking about who has come to the forest and how there's many that have come, and we have to go deep into the forest. We have to avoid all of this. We have to, uh, we have to run and protect others, and, and that's exactly what they do. They, they take off. Uh, Bambi goes to find Feline. Uh, he ends up being shot at the end of this film but his father shows up and says you got to get up you got to get up and, and and again this is a kind of my bonus scene i guess for this episode because uh, as i was doing this i remembered this scene i wa- i did want to mention this another powerful moment goes down father shows up says get up son you you can't give into this you have to be strong you know there's this external force this model again that you were affiliated with that you were acquainted with that's telling you, get up, you know, you're not done yet, you have to get up. It's a very powerful moment, again, at the end of this film, where Bambi's father is encouraging his son, get up, you know, get up, you know, you must get up, you can't just give in. And so, again, these are traits that I would say are are on the spectrum of what it means to be a man and what it means to encompass that characteristic of what it, of what a man should be. Uh, as he as a boy grows into it so that's my episode on Bambi my analysis of it again great timeless film great movie to watch with the kids and and be prepared to talk about what happened to Bambi's mother is all I can say uh, but uh, but I hope you enjoy this episode because lots and lots of great themes in this film and uh, I've quite frankly loved watching it over again now that my kids are old enough they can watch it and it really inspired this episode because I was going to do a couple other ones from Disney from days of yesteryear. But uh, but this one just really struck a chord because of just the nature of it and how just how direct it is and the metaphors in it are just fantastic. So uh, again, wanted to, to do that. And in case you're wondering, spoiler alert, 
he gets up, he makes it out, he gets reunited with Feline, and then he ends up having twins at the end of the story. And now he's taking his place as the new prince standing on the on the on sort of the, the hillside or the mountainside. Again, very Lion King esque if you've if you've seen both of these movies. So anyway, but it's Disney. If they made it, then they can remake it that way. I mean, they're doing remakes now. I mean, so more power to them, I guess. Or hopefully not as much more power because Disney owns like everybody now, right? <laughs> Come on, people. We gotta we gotta find some more competition out there. You know, keep keep the playing field level in, in some regard. But anywho, be sure to like, share, subscribe. Uh, send this off to someone that you know who might be interested in hearing it. Uh, again, I appreciate all the downloads and all the feedback I've been getting on, on the writer's lens. Sorry that I haven't been updating it as much as I'd like to be, but that should be changing as, as spring comes around and I'm not as sick uh, with sinuses and all other kinds of things. So be well, everybody. I'll talk to you again soon. This is Josh J.C. Alfelto for The Writer's Lens. <laughs>